and welcome back to the I'm Moving to Italy podcast. This is Nathan Heinrich, and I would like to welcome you back to Season 4, Episode 2. I am so excited to be back here with you. And today we have a very special episode. I'm going to be taking a bit of a back seat, and we are going to be meeting a very special couple. These are some of the most interesting people with one of the most interesting stories. And I have to tell you that their story is not only inspiring, but also interesting. It is truly, truly unique and special. So I'm very much looking forward to sharing their story with you. This couple is Megan and Freeman. They are located in Michigan, not far from Detroit, but they have a story and a connection to Italy that is very, very unique and very special. So without any further ado, I'm going to now turn over the rest of this podcast to this interview. And of course, after the interview with Megan and Freeman, I'm going to have our new segment with Vera. So stay tuned to the very, very end because I've got some fantastic surrounding sounds. And of course, La Vera Italia. I'm super excited about today's episode, so thanks for joining me, and let's get into it. Here's my interview today with Megan and Freeman. I am so thrilled to introduce our next guests, because not only did I meet these fabulous people through the podcast months ago, and we've kind of been in communication, and I've been really learning about what they do, who they are, and this is a couple that is such a dynamite couple and what they do is just so incredible. And I am so, so pleased to introduce you all to Megan and Freeman Gunnell. So welcome to the two of you. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. Well, it's a real pleasure to have you here. I've been actually wanting to do this for a long time. I've been, been looking forward to this all summer and I'd like to start off by, well, there's, you're both so interesting that there's it, my list here. I have pages of information that I have questions <laughs> mainly that I want to have a- answers to. So I'd like to start by first getting to know each of you a little bit. So Megan, we're going to start with you. Can you give us prior to joining forces with Freeman Tell me a little bit about your life and leading up to the time before before you met Freeman. Tell me a little bit about your backstory in your life. Well, gosh, that's a really good question. Um, I would say that, first of all, I've spent more than half my life with Freeman. Uh, Today happens to be our 24th wedding anniversary, so we're excited to celebrate that. But prior to meeting Freeman, I grew up in a foodie family. So uh, my mom cooked everything from scratch. My great-grandparents owned a restaurant. Um, All holidays were just like a wonderful time to be with community and connection and food and family. And it was such a big part of my life that it's no surprise that that I fell in love with a professional chef. (laughs) And and, um, yeah, I just spent a lot of time thinking about 
connection and people. And we did a lot of travel in our family, um, even just small little vacations going camping and exploring northern Michigan from, you know, where I'm from. But also then as I got older, my sister got very involved in her interest in international travel um, leading up to um, her career now, which is serving as the United States ambassador to NATO. Um, So she is, you know, has been spending many, many years traveling and living and working um, abroad. And I had an early taste of living and working in Europe myself. And so I think when you kind of combine that background of family and food and connection and travel, it makes perfect sense that this is where we are today doing what we're doing. Mm, Absolutely. Well, first of all, congratulations and happy anniversary. (laughs) Thank you. you. What are the chances that we would schedule this interview on your actual, your actual <laughs> anniversary? It's a great way to celebrate. <laughs> 24 years, you said? Yes. Okay, 24 years. Okay, so now I'm assuming that, because I know, I'm, I don't want to get ahead of things, but you're a therapist. So I'm assuming that yes. maybe, so did you, did you do your, your your education for that and your training for that did you do that prior to getting together with freeman or is that something that happened since the two of you've gotten together so when i met freeman i was in my bachelor's degree i was getting a degree in music therapy and i spent the first part of my career as a music therapist so i did a lot of work in hospitals i worked with patients and families using music at the bedside for pain management and you know, emotional coping and mental health. And it was just a wonderful career, but I realized very quickly that I needed more. And so I ended up getting um, a master's degree in social work from University of Michigan. And I ended up moving in the direction of doing more talk therapy. I became a psychotherapist. And that was actually at a time when um, we were having children and raising a family. So it was a lot of juggling, but uh, we made it work. And now I'm so grateful that I was able to do it because it's just been an amazing career um, for me to be able to do psychotherapy with patients. And I also lead a lot of retreats internationally with my clientele. So I have loved bringing you know, my clients to Costa Rica and other places to do wellness retreats. And that kind of married well also with what we're doing today too. So it's, it's, you know, I didn't think of it actually until you asked me the question, but it does all really lead to where we are today. Right. I mean, it's all a form of wellness, isn't it? That's right. <laughs> True. Okay. Thank you for that background. All right, Freeman, you're up. Tell me, I'd like to know, <laughs> about, right. I'd like to know about uh, all the way up until the moment that, that you met this fabulous bride of 24 years. You know, I had um, parents that were both working and uh, my mom would leave things out and say, you know, I need this for dinner tonight. And I just started uh, improvising and then we were out of something. So I made like a spaghetti sauce from scratch and started doctoring up barbecue sauce and making dressings and stuff. And so I didn't really follow a cookbook. I just started improvising. And then uh, my first job in, in high school was working in a northern Italian restaurant very nice and uh, I learned a lot from there that was just it came natural so I really took a uh, liking to it and I identified more with the pace of working in a restaurant and uh, 
and using all fresh ingredients and, and learning what it was like to work with, um, you know, a great, uh, a great stove or a great kitchen knife and, you know, having the equipment and the ingredients just made so much more sense. And so it just kind of took me on my, uh, my future for, for cooking, but cooking in, in restaurants, especially in the United States is very intensive and crazy. And so there's not always a room for doing extracurricular things. And of course I was um, creative in a spirit and wanted to travel and stuff. So I was going to, um, find extra money outside of my work from uh, doing modeling. And so I had some shots done and everything. And I ended up meeting Megan at uh, a modeling audition. And so that's how kind of we connected. <laughs> what? We did. Yes. Oh. It's crazy. <laughs> Models. Oh my God. Like... <laughs> well, I wasn't really official, uh, a model, but people said you could probably be in a J crew magazine or Ed Bauer or something <laughs> like that sure, why not? I don't care. And so I, I looked into it and they were like, yeah, you have to look. It's just a matter of, you know, finding the right jobs and stuff. So we dabbled around in a little bit, but she was the one that was doing all the auto shows and traveling the country and, you know, the high-end clothes and all that stuff. So it was, it was cool. <laughs> it was fun. I will tell you really quickly. You left that out, that left that out of your story. Very, very <laughs> But I was also a model as, as well as getting my master's degree and, and traveling around and working in hospitals. I'm also a model. Okay. Interesting. Got it. <laughs> Noted. <laughs> yeah, oh it, was, my God. it was really crazy. When we first met, she uh, just won the uh, pageant for Miss Farmington and then went to Miss Michigan and was <laughs> third runner up or oh, second runner up. But then they wanted her to keep going so that she would be <laughs> key Miss Michigan. <laughs> Oh, I'm loving this. I am loving this. Don't you love it when a spouse brags on you? <laughs> yes. Oh my gosh. Oh, this, this is priceless. Oh, I love it. Okay. <laughs> so, okay. So now the two of you met your, your two gorgeous models and you're <laughs> working in modeling. So then now I know you have done some very interesting schooling for culinary work. Now tell me how, tell me, I'm assuming you met during that modeling chapter that that of your life, and then you went on uh, after you got married. Tell, when did the culinary thing and well, school and studying happen? Well, before before I met Megan, um, um, I was planning on going to the CIA in New York, the Culinary Institute of America, and I was all set to go. And I just kind of felt like it wasn't really the right timing, or wasn't really ready for it. And the chefs were very convincing of like, stay here, we'll work with you, you'll learn everything, you don't need to go to culinary school. And I already had a pretty extensive background in cooking as it was. So I, um, I applied to a school in California, and I went to um, a Behringer school for wine. Uh, I went there to study with the teacher that uh, was my, my boss's teacher. Her name was Madeline Kamen. She passed away, um, I think, last summer. And she's a wonderful, wonderful cook. She she's from France. Uh, she grew up in Anthony. And if you read about her, her cookbooks have stories. So it's not like reading a regular cookbook. It's actually a storybook with all these recipes in it. It's amazing. Mm. She's really fun. Can you say her name one more time for you? Madeline Kamen. Madeline Kamen. Okay. Her name is spelled a little different. Her Madeline is spelled a little different, and Kamen is K A M M A N. And she did a PBS series. So she was kind of like Julia Child's rival for many years. 
Oh, interesting. Okay, I'll have to look into her. She sounds fascinating. Oh, she is. Okay, so you're mentioning Behringer. I can't tell you how many times I've driven past on that beautiful tree-lined road past Behringer Winery and that in the cooking school there. Oh, it's a great place. I mean, I know exactly where you're talking about. Uh, So after Behringer... Also applying to the Cordon Bleu and a school in Ireland, and I was just nervous about going overseas because I figured... You know, like when you grow up, you think that long distance phone calls are so expensive. Like we weren't even allowed to touch the phone when I was growing up. <laughs> you know, like my parents were like, no. And uh, so then travel to Europe would just be like obscenely expensive. Like, you know, it's $10,000 for the ticket and you'll go through your life savings in a week, you know, so it was just terrible. So when I met Megan, it was like, no, no, this is possible. You can go over to, to Europe and travel. So our honeymoon was like basically my first experience of living in in or you know traveling through europe so it was really 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 interesting and that's what convinced us to move over there for a year and a half was like it was just such a huge culture change for me that i really wanted to see what it was like Mm, wow okay so i'm assuming 1998 is that the year you we met we met in 94 and uh i was supposed to move to denver uh i didn't end up going to denver i stayed and we we hooked up together as far as living together in uh, Chicago for a while. And at first it was like, I'm not interested in getting married. I don't, you know, I don't have any plans. I'm too young. <laughs> and then one day after we're sitting in our dining room, our kitchen had flooded and stuff. And and she's like, okay, I'm ready. And I'm like, yeah, ready, ready for like, what's going on? She's like, I'm ready to get married. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> so then I had to scramble together and get, you know, the ring and all that stuff going on. So then it, then it started to come together. The kitchen's yeah. just flooded. Let's get married. <laughs> I figured if we could make it through that, we were a good team. <laughs> exactly. Wow. How great is that? Okay. So you spent a year living in Europe. And can you just give me a little bit of a little idea of what that was like, that, that, that time in Europe together? It was amazing. We decided to do this after our honeymoon. We were um, honeymooning in Paris and Florence and Munich. And we had some friends in Munich who said, you know, you guys should just like move over here. You seem to love it so much, you know, and we went home back to Chicago and it really got our wheels turning. And we were thinking maybe we should, we don't have a house yet. We have this apartment. We don't have children yet. This might be a really good opportunity to do this. And if we don't like it or everything fails, we can just get a one-way ticket home and start over, you know? And so we did it and we stayed for a year and a half in Munich and we traveled all over Europe. We learned German. We taught English. We both worked in our industry. So I was teaching music at a preschool um, outside of Munich. And Freeman was doing a lot of catering and cooking classes with a bunch of Germans. And it was just a blast. We just had so much fun living and working over there and really going into immersion. Like, I love your story so much, Nathan, because when I listen to your podcast, it brings back so many memories of, you know, being in another culture and trying to learn the language (laughs) and making mistakes with the language and being nervous about doing it wrong and all the things that you've bumbled and bumbled your way through your experience has been very similar to ours. And yeah, it's just, it was a wonderful time. So 
And then after a year and a half, we thought, you know, I guess maybe we should come back. I, I should probably start a master's degree. And, you know, we have we had a house that we were renting out. And so we thought maybe we should do, you know, come back and really take care of that and, and, and kind of put some roots down. And that's when we kind of started to, um, you know, really kind of dive into the next chapter, which was having a family and finishing my master's and, and moving into my second career. So, mm. Wow, what a great start to your lives together. It was fun, really, really fun. When we came back, um, we had a lot of work to do on the house. There was a lot of like re reorienting ourselves with being back in the United States. And uh, so Meg, um, you know, was applying to the University of Michigan. And then I would say within that first month of getting the house in order and everything, we found out that we we're going to have um, a baby. <laughs> So that kind of threw a curveball and Meg was almost like, you know, falling apart because she had already planned to go to school and she was accepted and everything. So then we're like, all right, let's just take a break. Let's breathe. And we called the school and they said she could defer for one year. So that was like, great. We're out of the woods. Everything's fine. We're, we're good to go. And then um, she had to find a job. I had to find a job. She started working for Bon Secours and doing, uh, which was a hospital nearby. Um, now it's called Beaumont Hospital, Gross Point. And the thing was, is she was pregnant and, you know, interviewing for jobs and stuff. And I'm like, this is going to be a challenge, you know, <laughs> but she got in with this uh, hospital and she's doing music therapy. And, you know, you see her with these pictures where she's just extended out and carrying her guitar and my heart going yeah, through the hallways and stuff. And she was just every week they were um, posting these newsletters and she was like the focus of all the newsletters of what was going on at the hospital. So it was really funny. And uh, I was uh, doing some stuff on the side and then I started working at a pastry chef uh, or pastry shop uh, nearby. And, uh, you know, it was all, um, it was, everything was going good. It was just a little bit uh, of a transition. Okay, so you had your first child, which was? Our son, Elliot. Okay. Who now and lives in Europe. <laughs> of course he does, of course he does. My mom said, well, you show them the world. What do you expect? <laughs> now, where is, where is Elliot? Where is Elliot? He's at Lund University in Sweden. Oh, that's so great. But he's loving it. He is. He is loving it so much. He wants to stay and do his master's there. <laughs> Good for him. I have more power to him. Well, okay. So you had your first child and you're both working doing your, your individual things, what happens next, Megan? Well, then I decided, why not bookend your master's degree by having another baby at the end of it? <laughs> it was so crazy. But then we had our daughter. So I gave the speech to my graduating class and I was pregnant under my graduation gown. And I just thought, this is crazy, but we just, we just plowed through it all. And somehow we did it. And I finished my MSW and I had a baby girl, Hannah, our daughter, who's now going to be a senior in high school. Um, and it's just, it's amazing to think how fast the time goes by, but we continued to work and I was building my private practice and, um, 
it was, it was a lot of hard work. It was a big challenge for us. We, you know, we went from having all this wonderful freedom from living in Europe, you know, just the two of us kind of having an extended honeymoon for a year and a half. It was so wonderful to really kind of getting into the weeds with like the home ownership and two children and a master's degree and building our careers. And it was just so much, it was, you know, not all glamor in the early days of those hardworking years, but we really were a great partnership and Freeman would help with the kids. And, you know, I was studying and writing papers and then trying to build my practice. And, you know, it was just a lot of juggling. So when she finished with uh, her schooling, <clears throat> I had an opportunity to go to culinary school. Right. That's so right. I started my culinary program and I was just going to do a one year program for baking and pastry. And then it was like, well, with six more classes, you could get the other degree as well. So I got another two year degree, six or two years later with taking like these six classes interspersed throughout the time period. But my, my uh, helping Megan was like very um, simple, you know, like I would help them get out of the tub or I would help them with, you know, certain tasks and stuff. But like anytime, like my daughter fell asleep in the car, I'm like, I'll stay in the car and you go inside. <laughs> and when the child wakes up, I'll come in, you know? And so then I would sleep in the car too. And, and when the child wants to go to bed early, uh, my son or my daughter, I'm like, I'll go in there and <laughs> go in there and sleep. And then my wife would either wake me up or I'd crawl out of there. And that was the hardest thing, crawling out with them, not waking up. And then, uh, cause I had early, uh, shifts with pastries and stuff. So I was always getting up early and, uh, I didn't mind the extra sleep. It was great. Somehow it all came together. <laughs> you know what I have to tell you? We're not too far difference in age between me and you all. I think maybe I'm a millennial and you're maybe Gen Xers. Is that correct? I'm a I Gen Xer so. for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So <clears throat> I think your generation might be the last generation that actually gets it right. <laughs> oh, oh, I, I hate to say it. that. Oh. Well, there's a lot of things that millennials and Gen Zs and all that, there's a lot of things that get right. But one of the things I think that, that my generation in particular is missing, not everybody, but some, is this notion of putting family off so far. Now, you obviously maybe didn't make a conscious decision. It sort of just happened and, and you allowed it to happen and you almost encouraged it. But you were both so busy. It would have been really easy to just say, no, let's wait, let's wait, let's wait. And then you, and then you get to your like late thirties or early forties. And it's like, wait a minute, now we're going to start a family. Right. And I think that you, and, and it was my parents, our parents' generation and, you know, and, and then all the generations before where there wasn't like, how do we fit kids in and family? in? it was like, how do we fit our careers around family? Mm-hmm. So I think there's a I think there's a real wisdom to what you allowed the sort of unexpectedly to happen in your lives, but I have so much admiration for people who are so driven with their careers, but still make time for kids and family. Cause I think that there's uh, that's not the most popular thing to say today to yeah. even acknowledge that oh, there's just something really wonderful hearing your story and how it includes children. 
I love it. It was great. Honestly, it was, it's like the best thing I ever did was be a parent. Honestly, of all the things we've done in our lives, I'm so happy that I have kids and that we had a chance to raise them the way we did. And we just folded them into everything we loved too. And so, you know, whether it was like learning to cook or pulling little step stools up at the counter and having them roll out pretzels or whatever we were doing as a family, making soup or making sauces, like that was so much fun to like include them in those experiences. And then the same thing that our parents did too, like fold them into travel opportunities or family gatherings and like that, there's just a lot of rich connection and joy. And for me, like a great feeling of being alive comes from being a parent, you know? So I've enjoyed that tremendously. I think where some of the the people that might have maybe went a little bit off course is that they thought, oh, we're not going to make our kids like rake leaves and we're not going to make them help with the laundry or we're not going to make them, you know, have to worry about making dinner and stuff. They kind of like maybe took it to where they said, we'll take care of all that. You don't have to do anything. You can just go out and have fun and play and stuff. And part of it is like, well, that's part of the stuff that you use as fun and learning, you know, mm-hmm. like you, you learn how to do these things so you can take care of yourself after you get older. And, mm-hmm. you know, and for us, it was just like, that's part of the family. So the kids kind of grew up with us. I mean, my kids like shrimp and they like, um, you know, expensive foods. And that was our mistake in the sense <laughs> of starting them off early, but we didn't say, here's the kids menu. You know, it was like, you know, we just said, here's the food. And then they ate and, you know, we didn't have the issues where they were just afraid of everything. I mean, they, mm-hmm. they'll eat anything because mm-hmm. we just said that's what we're eating. Mm-hmm. Now, there's something about young parents. There's something really special. I mean, I remember my parents when they were still in their 20s. And I know they were looking back. I know they were struggling now. I didn't know at the time right? Uh, because I don't remember their struggle. They, I'm sure, probably do. <laughs> but I, I don't remember that. I just remember, like you just said so beautifully, that we were folded into their lives. And we, we certainly, just like you just said, Freeman, we, 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 we did a lot more than just rake leaves. <laughs> <laughs> I bet. I bet. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, I think you're absolutely 100% right. And that's, it's almost like you can't even say those things today with the way the world is because, you know, you've got to create this bubble around your children and you, you know, can't let them have any stress or any, work, you know, I don't know. I don't think that that's right. I think that that's not exactly correct. Then you end up with kids that, you know, don't feel quite as confident to go out into the world and be independent. And, you know, I'm, I'm really proud that my son felt so courageous and ready to go abroad for school. We, we weren't able to even go with him to take him because he graduated in 2020 and had to fly there alone. And, you know, there's just something amazing about that, that you know, to know that your kids have that level of courage and confidence and independence, I think comes from the way that we we really did fold them into everything we did and, and, you know, showed them kind of what it was like and how good it feels to get a job done or, you know, work in the garden or put the laundry in the dryer or, you know, all of those things. This new generation of nothing but screens everywhere and, and no real life experience. I don't know. I, it kind of freaks me out about the future. Yeah, I agree. You've got two little kids. Your daughter's name again? Did you say your daughter's name? Hannah. Hannah, Elliot, and Hannah. Mm-hmm. They're about three or four years apart. Four. Mm-hmm. Okay. You've got two little kids. 
and you're, you're beautifully folding them in to your lives as you're building your own careers. Take me from little kids and graduating and being pregnant while they're in school. I mean, while, while you're in school and take me from that point, fast forward me. I know that's not easy to do, but fast forward me to when the idea formed to start these fabulous culinary tours. And where did that seed, I'm sure the seed was planted years ago during the Munich years. Yes. When the conversation started, how did that evolution happen? Well, I um, do remember a lot of dreaming that was happening in Munich when we were thinking, when we were living there, we kept thinking, wouldn't it be amazing to rent one of these amazing villas that we saw in Tuscany and someday be able to like bring people to one of these cool places and, you know, do some sort of cooking thing or some sort of culinary experience with them. And we were just dreaming about it, but we were, you know, young and crazy and broke and, you know, had no idea of how we could ever do that. And this is like way long before Airbnb existed or any of those kinds of things were even out there. I mean, people weren't doing culinary farm stays or culinary tours or any of that. So, you know, this was just kind of our little origin idea. And then years later, when we were back in the States, Freeman did quite a bit of catering privately. And he had several families that would continue to, you know, uh, bring him to their events as the professional caterer and do all of the food for these elaborate dinners and sometimes cooking classes in their home and these gorgeous events, lots of wonderful food and dishes. And we kept thinking, maybe this is the group. Maybe now we have the audience to do this. And so we kept kind of limping through the idea for many years until we got to where we are now. So we moved to Gross Point outside of Detroit. We opened a bakery in this town that we live in. We moved our family over here. I moved my practice. Our kids changed schools. It was a big kind of everything went upside down at once. <laughs> and Freeman opened the bakery and he was running the bakery for many years. And then we decided that it would be a great idea to start doing pop-up dinners. Those were becoming very popular. And we I'll, t- I'll let you take it from there. Yeah, I really wanted to do a pop-up dinner, but I thought like, I have enough on my schedule right now that I'm working from like four to six in the morning till like six or seven at night that I'm like, I don't want to take on doing dinners by myself, but a friend of mine, a colleague from um, my earlier days of working at the rattlesnake club, he said, Hey, uh, we'll do it together. We'll, we'll do a pop-up together and we'll make it fun. You know? So we had a great time. We, we really exhausted ourselves making this pop-up dinner. We kind of went, like a little bit bolder and thinking like that we could do two seatings. We had an early seating at five 30. We had a later seating at like seven 38 o'clock and we were like wiped out, but the price point was lower. So we thought, well, it's easier to fill and it's better for us overall. We didn't think one dinner would really make it. So Meg was like, this is crazy. Let's just do it. One dinner, one seating, and we'll jack up the price a little bit. Like, okay, well, we'll try it. So we tried it. And it went over really well. They sold out in minutes. I'm not kidding. People were begging me. They were texting me like, tell me when you're opening these because they were so exclusive and so intimate. It was three chefs, five courses, one night only. And we would transform the entire inside of this bakery into a fine dining chef's table experience with white linen tablecloths and candles and flowers. And we had myself and my son and 
you know, my uh, kids, friends and all these people just as servers, I threw on an apron and we were just running dishes from the kitchen to the tables and we printed menus and we just had so much fun with it. My parents came and helped serve. Freeman's family came to help serve and clean. And it was just a super, super fun event that we would do on a regular basis. And we did many of these. So we did pop-up dinners on a regular basis for years. And then we thought now, now we have the audience. Now we can book the villa. Yeah. The other part was that mm. we really wanted to make sure that the food was amazing. So we'd have all these elaborate uh, little like twists in the meal, like, oh, we'll we'll do this and it'll be so exciting. Everyone will be really amazed. And so what's the next surprise and what's the next surprise? And so I kept kind of pushing the boundaries. Well, we'll do a vegetarian pop up. You know, we'll do an all fish pop up, all seafood. We'll do a Chinese pop up. And then we we were putting them on days where we were expecting like like all of our friends can't come because it's New Year's Eve or the weekend before New Year's. So like, so we put it out there and all our friends said they couldn't come, but then we got everyone else to come that would like could try to get in there. Normally they couldn't come because our friends were filling it up every weekend. I'm like, well, we're doing this for our friends, <laughs> but we want other people to come as well. So we make them on these like oddball weekends. Like one time I think it was like right before Valentine's day. We did a leap year pop-up. We did, yeah, we did like, you know, yeah, all so, these crazy Chinese so the, New Year. So then I'm like, well, I think that, we could probably do a pop-up in Italy and it would be really fun. You know, like we could get people to go over there. So we dreamed that up. And next thing you know, we were, you know, putting out bids and asking people if they wanted to go to Italy with us. And we, it was a big leap of faith. It was great. I'll tell you, I rented the villa without even knowing if we were actually going to be able to sell it. And I kept thinking, well, this is either going to be the most fabulous culinary tour of our lives or one of the most expensive vacations we've ever taken. (laughs) So I made a little rack card and I put it on the plate of all of the dining room like tables. And I put um, the napkin and the silverware and I put the rack card of the Italy invitation right on the plate. So when the guests arrived for the pop-up, they walked in and it had a beautiful picture of the Duomo and Florence on it. And it was like, join us for the pop-up in Italy. And by the end of the night, people were just handing us their credit cards and they were like, please hold a room for us. So it sold out so quickly that we were like, we probably can do this again. (laughs) Wow. When would you say, what year was that first pop-up that you did at the bakery? 2017, the summer of 2017. Mm -hmm. And by um, August 2018 was our first tour to Italy. You guys did not waste any time. It was amazing. So amazing. (sighs) And then after that one, the next one filled so fast that we were like, now we should do two a year. I mean, it just kept growing. Okay. So first, first pop-up dinner, 2017, those take off. You're loving those. You're using a space that you already have. Your people are going crazy. You're feeling the momentum. Then you do Italy. Tell me about the first Italian experience where, let's be honest, it was your first time. You knew how to do these dinners, but now you're doing it in another country. Talk me through and tell me how fabulous it was. Tell me some, give me at least one good funny story about something that went maybe a little haywire. 
I've got a couple of them. So we learned a lot. Okay. We learned a lot. Um, the very first Italy tour we ever ran in 2018, I, <laughs> I'm, I'm really good at venue selection. It's what I pride myself on because, I, like I said, I've hosted retreats internationally, you know, for my clients, and I, I really comb the internet for great, great venues. But I was also looking for something affordable because I wasn't sure, again, if we really had the audience to sell this. And so I was like, okay, we should probably pick um, this one that's outside of Florence. And it's a rustic farmhouse. It was very much like a Tuscan farm, you know, house. It was, you know, had like fields of olive groves, olive trees and, um, you know, the winery grapes all around us. It was really beautiful, very rustic. And the problem was, is it had three teeny tiny kitchens inside of the whole property, like teeny tiny, three little teeny tiny kitchens that really didn't make sense at all. So you could see that they had probably added these on, you know, so I had three chefs, I had Freeman and two others that were our pop-up chefs at the time. And they each had like their own closet, like kitchen, teeny tiny. And it was like, they looked at me one night and also it was August and it was boiling hot. And so I was putting cold washcloths in the freezer and wrapping them around the necks of the chefs because they were boiling hot cooking in these tiny kitchens and we were rolling pasta, but everybody loved it. And Mm. even though there were like bees in the rooms and no air and we were boiling and like these mini kitchens weren't working at all, everyone absolutely loved it, loved it, loved it. Well, we put tables outside so yeah. we ate like in the driveway yeah of the of the villa that we we put the tables in the driveway and we had like this long Beautiful long table, table and it was really nice the ambiance and everything was was even better than having it inside and then we did a lot of grilling outside we'd set up these charcoal grills and do all this fresh grilling and mm-hmm. so the food was just fantastic but you know doing some things inside was a little bit like cumbersome so you had to <laughs> you know make do with what you had and and we uh improvised quite a bit, but we had so much fun doing it. That I mean, we didn't even like, have a salad spinner. I mean, there were so many things we didn't have. And so I remember our kids came the first time too. So they helped us because they were servers and dishwashers and they were helping set the tables. And we have a video of our daughter who was like putting all the lettuce in these, you know, dish towels and swinging it around, you know, as fast as she could to get the water out of it. I mean, there was just so many things that we were kind of doing that were, you know, crazy at the time. So that's what I learned when I was 15. Uh, we used to take a tablecloth and put the lettuce in there and you twirl it together and you take it outside and you spin it over your head. And as long as you spin it in a, on a, a tight circle, like over your head and keep going fast, none of the lettuce falls out. All the water comes out. It was a neat trick that I learned like a long, long time ago that I never needed to use again because we had these modern spinners since then. But at the time when I was at this restaurant, they didn't have anything like that. So I was over there and I'm like, this will work. I said, I, I can, I can clean the lettuce. So we cleaned the lettuce. We put it in one of my aprons. We rolled it up because it was a clean apron. And I had my daughter spinning it over. I'm like, this is how you do it. <laughs> and we're in Italy. It was just perfect. Yeah. Your kids, like they, they were, we were learning and working right alongside you. How great. It was so much fun. And then, you know, the final night, we set up the tables for this big elaborate dinner. The last night of every pop-up is a wonderful, very high-end, like five-star kind of menu. They do a lot of the special kind of dishes that you would see in these really high-end restaurants and like 
elaborate sauces and technique. It's really a celebration and everyone gets dressed up and we have aperitivo and wonderful appetizers and little Aperol spritzes. And we're out in the yard enjoying the setup of the table and the sunflowers were all blooming and it was so beautiful. And then <laughs> right before we were about to serve the first course, the rain came and we had to move the entire like setup inside very quickly. And we did it. And it was just this downpour, torrential downpour. And we were all indoors kind of recreating it inside of this hot villa, but we just had a blast and rainbows came out and the sunflower fields were in bloom. And it was just like a movie, a, a wonderful end to a movie. You know, it was just so great. So we decided exactly, yeah. next time we do it, we're not going to do it in August and we're going to get a luxury villa because we knew that we could fill it and we knew we could afford that and we've moved it to the fall, which is a lot more pleasant for our guests. <laughs> oh, I love that. And how great that that first group was people who already knew you, already loved you. Mm-hmm. Like that's the best, That's that was probably the best audience you could have had rather than people, international people from around the world who just happened to just discover this new fabulous couple that's doing these these you know wine and food tours in Tuscany you got people who already kind of knew your hearts knew who you were as human beings and what a great story those memories the you know the table down the driveway which we all know that driveways in Italy are just not the same as driveways anywhere else in the world <laughs> a driveway in Italy is like a, a fabulous location. So I, yes. I'm picturing this driveway that it's probably got vistas and views all over the all over Tuscany. I mean, uh, it was and you're beautiful. right. It was As beautiful. you're describing that, I am seeing it in my head like a movie. It sounds, and that would be a movie I would watch. <laughs> it was so wonderful. We just had a great time. That was 2018. Then we have 2019, where you upgraded the villa and you changed the time of the year to what I think is the best time of the year to be in Italy, which is October. Mm -hmm. So 2019 went fabulously, I'm assuming. Yes, it was beyond belief. When we arrived at that villa and we walked up to the house, I could have just cried. It was just like everything we ever dreamed of. It was this just amazing luxury, beautiful white villa with the green shutters. And they have a lemon house there. They have a Roman bath in the basement with a you know soaking pool and an outdoor pool. They have tables set for 20 people. I mean, a huge, gorgeous modern kitchen kitchen. It was just stunning. I mean, every detail, every little detail of this villa, they have a chapel on the property. They have olive trees and it was just fabulous. We, we came into it and we thought, this is it. This is the perfect property for what we're trying to do. And the, the amount of guests that we want to have comfortably stay here and you know, it just has all the amenities. They have a winery in the basement. So if you run out of wine, you go right downstairs and get another bottle. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, I love it. Oh it's wow. Okay, yeah. so that's 2000, that's 2019. Mm-hmm. Now, you little did you know what the following year was going to bring. Sure. Yeah. And we had two tours booked for 2020, completely sold out, one for Tuscany and one for Provence. And so we had to quickly pivot and, you know, tear those down because of the travel ban and COVID and everything that happened. 
So we thought, oh my gosh, is this the end of all the things we ever worked for and dreamed for? Like, are we, are we just done with this idea? Like maybe travel will no longer ever be the same. And, you know, we kind of paused for a long time, like everyone did, like the world did while we moved through COVID and tried to understand what was going to happen next. And at the same time, our son was moving abroad and like going to university in Sweden. And so there were just a lot of moving parts with a lot of uncertainty causing a lot of anxiety um, for us as a family and for the world, of, of course. But then we decided once we thought, okay, you know, 2020 and 2021, we just hit pause and we thought now I think it's okay to book something for 2022, but we learned a lot about travel insurance and cancellation policies and all kinds of things that we wanted well, to have in place. And we did a test run last August. We went over and saw where my son was going to school. We went to, we went to, um, France for a little while and we're in Paris and then we went down to Italy. We were supposed to go to Brussels and it was changed to Italy. So terrible thing for us to get to, <laughs> to Italy again. And so we hung out down there and had a great time. And so we navigated through um, both countries very easily and, mm -hmm. and there was mask wearing and showing COVID cards and stuff like that. But we're like, oh, we could do a tour again. Mm -hmm. We'll be able to do this again. So. Mm -hmm. So your faith was sort of renewed at that oh, yeah. point. You saw, you saw the light at the end of the tunnel last yeah. year. Yes, for sure. Yeah. So I'd like, to, I'd like to have you break down for me, if you can, what you do, because you do so much on these fabulous tours. So and you have one coming up, by the way, that is so exciting. And I have, you have something really exciting you're going to share about this tour that's special just for our listeners. So we're going to get into that in a minute. Mm -hmm. But... Tell me, tell me what happens. Walk me through. I'm me and my significant other, maybe best friend, whoever is, is, has booked this fabulous tour with me. We've never been on one of your trips before. Talk me through. I've just landed. And where am I landing to what happens? And take, take turns yeah. on what happens. I, I'll break it down for me, please. Okay, I'll give the backstory and Freeman can cover some of the culinary side, but I, I do the tour organizing and the coordination and I host the group. And so I'm kind of front of the house and he is all, all things related to the culinary side. So uh, when guests arrive, we recommend they fly into Florence. They uh, take a quick shuttle to the Florence airport um, car rental agency. They hop in their rental car and they get right on the freeway and they drive directly to our villa. Um, some of them come a couple days early of course, or they want to explore other cities. Some of our guests will fly into, you know, other locations and spend a few days in Rome or Venice or Milan or anywhere. Uh, but many of them come directly to Florence and go directly to the villa. So when they get to the villa, it's just about an hour away from Florence. It's a beautiful, easy drive. They arrive and they see this beautiful villa, just like I described. Um, and they they find their way to their um, beautiful bedroom and uh, they get settled in and we greet them with a wonderful um, appetizer, a huge actually appetizer um, assortment and their first Aperol spritz and they get to kind of relax and, you know, kind of explore the grounds. And then we go into the first dinner um, that evening. Some of them are, you know, just arriving from the States. They might feel a little jet lagged. And then the next day we structure this very intentionally. We do our cooking class on the very first day. 
And the reason we do that, in my opinion, being a psychotherapist is to build community. And so if you have shared experiences with the guest, then you have some memories that you've made and you can roll pasta with the other guests and get to know them. And everyone's having a little glass of wine and, and making all these different dishes. And all three chefs have different stations in the kitchen. So one person's making dessert and somebody else is making a pasta dish and someone else might be doing the vegetable dishes and they all work together on those uh, projects. They also get the chance to go to a beautiful uh, winery tour at Antonori Winery this year. We pick different wineries each year, uh, but we really love going to Antonori. It is a world-class winery outside of Florence, and it is truly a spectacular building um, to see. It's it's super modern. It's built into the, the earth, actually. So it remains very cool in the wine cellars. And the whole experience is just incredible for your senses. Um, so we do a winery tour. We also take our guests on um, a chef-guided market tour of Central Market in Florence. And for those who want to see where the local shop, we also take them to the, the little local open market market in Florence as well. If they would like to see that, they're welcome to join us for, for that aspect too. Some of them like to come in, do the market tour, and then maybe do some shopping or go out for lunch, or maybe that day they like to go to one of the museums or just explore Florence. Um, and then we have dinners prepared for them every night at the villa. And um, we always take a day trip as well. So we like to fold in a wonderful outing. Last time we were there, we had a day trip planned to Cinque Terre. This year, we're going to a couple little Tuscan towns. So that'll be really lovely. And then the very last night is the glorious movie set pop-up dinner. And in fact, last year, I'll let Freeman explain some of the food, but I will, I will add this, that last time, not, not last year, but the last time we were there, the chefs made the most amazing dessert I've ever experienced. We were sitting in the lemon house, which is this outdoor building that is full of plants and it's glass and windows overlooking Luca, the hillside and the mountains of Luca. And at night, all of the lights are just twinkling in the hills. It's just gorgeous. And the chefs decided to recreate that in the dessert dish. They painted with chocolate the mountain scene on the plates and they used gold flecks to place the lights from the city. And then they had like four or five different chocolate elements that they had created, one being placed inside of a hollowed out eggshell. I mean, there was just so much work that went into this dessert. And when they placed it on the plates in the lemon house, the chefs came in and opened the curtains up even farther and said, you're eating your view. And people began to cry. <laughs> it was so amazing. <laughs> Oh my god. Yeah, it was incredible. This is not this is not just a movie I want to watch. I want to watch every episode of this show and I hope it goes <laughs> on for like multiple seasons. We're hoping we can pitch it to Netflix. So Netflix, if you're uh, listening, give us a call. <laughs> absolutely. Oh my gosh. Guys, I go back this to is, like my, this my I go back to my childhood. You know, I wanted to go to Disney World. Like, because my cousins and other people, I dying to go and we never could really go. My parents are like, well, it's just not in the budget and we're not going to be able to do it. And maybe sometime. So that was like the pinnacle of what, you know, you want to experience. So Meg was doing an auto show there when we were dating and I'm like, I'm going to go to Florida, you know, I'll go hang out with her. And it's my first time in Florida really realistically. And so, um, She's like, what are you going to do to the, you know, during the day? Cause I'll be at the auto show. I'm like, I'm going to go to Epcot center. I'm going to go to 
you know, Universal Studios. So I go to Epcot Center and they have this tour around the world where you can see all these foods. And I'm like, this, there's just not something there. It's like, it's missing something, right? You're not really getting it when you go to these different countries in this building. Although it was fascinating, it just wasn't really fulfilling as, as much. But when we were in Europe and especially going to Italy, you're like, this is really what the experience is. This is what it's amazing to see rosemary bushes that are grown so high that you can, you know, sniff them in your hand instead of like little plants on your kitchen windowsill and, and basil and bay leaves. We had shrubs of bay leaves that we could cut and use them as garnish for the plates or put them on the grill and grill scallops. And it's like a culinary Mecca of the world that you have all these ingredients in Italy. It's almost like Italy was designed for food, you know, like, oh, we have this region with where, where there's wheat and we have pasta and we have this region that has olives and olive oil and we have grapes for the wine and this area for the cheeses. And, and it's just so inspiring that, you know, anyone who goes there, I don't know. I mean, if there's tourists that go there and miss out on the culinary aspects of Italy, you know, I mean, obviously the pizza and the pasta, but there's just so much to it. And, and that's what I want to show them. You just made a really good point, Freeman. I have to say that I, I know people personally, Now I've not told this to them, to their face, because they already had come back from their trip and it was too late. What's the point? <laughs> <laughs> I can tell that they got served a touristy version of Italy. Oh, yeah. And you just know that they, and they loved it because they didn't know any better. Yeah, right. They got to you know, stand next to the Tower of Pisa, and they got to see the Coliseum, and they got to, you know, you know, do all the things that were on their checklist, but you just know that they didn't get real Italy. Right. You know, you get this little bit of it when you watch certain shows like, you know, everybody's really into Stanley Tucci's show. I'm sure you're watching that. Yeah. Yeah. He's an example. You know, he's, he gives us a little, I think one of the reasons why people love it so much is because it's, it's, he's giving you the real thing, but what's so great about what the two of you are offering and what you are providing to your attendees or your guests, I'm assuming you call them guests. You're, you're guiding them. You're guiding them through real Italy. You're, you're not just guiding them through, you know, taking their money and then, you know, sending them off on some sort of a pre, you know, prepackaged tour. You're giving them such a rich experience. I just think it's so wise that you are keeping your, your group to how, what size is your group? A maximum of 20 guests. There it is. It's, it's, it's brilliant. And I would bet, I, I, I think I already know the answer to this question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Do your, do your guests come away with like lifelong connections with each other? Yes. Yeah. And actually people have made other plans to travel with the guests that they've met on our tour. So they will take other trips together and we've had repeat customers so we've had people come back year after year to go again, even in the same villa, because they know it'll be another experience, right. different dishes, different food, you know, different wineries. We try to mix up where we're going for the tours. But just jumping back to your idea of real Italy, 
When we were at the villa outside of Luca for the first time, we walked down the hill and found our way to this little winery that was within, you know, two minutes from where the the villa is located. And we found our way to the owner and she told us that she hosts wine tastings at her um, house. And they actually, you know, have like they press the grapes right there in a machine and they also use their their feet and like everything the old fashioned way. It was amazing. And they have cheeses and honey. They raise, you know, honey hives and they have bees. And it's just this beautiful, beautiful villa. Actually, the picture of the villa is on the homepage of our website. And our guests love going over there because she takes them through the whole process of from, you know, from the grape to the wine and what they do and how they produce this. But then she brings them into her home. And inside of her home, she has these huge rugs on the floor and beautiful old furniture. And it's just these giant ceilings and paintings that you can't believe. And she's just living here and working here. And they sit for hours, just like getting to know this woman. And she keeps bringing out all these different things to try and eat. And she's talking about her farm and her winery and just everything. And it's just this very unique experience, unlike the other tour to Antonori that we do, which is more of a formalized, you know, actual winery tour and tasting. But just going into this woman's house and having that experience is is just pure magic and something you really would never get, you know, like you said, on some of these large scale commercial tours, you know. Yeah, because you're not going to try to cram 150 people into this woman's house. Right, exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's so great. I love it. Okay, now, if I'm listening to this podcast, I'm thinking, okay, what in the world is their website? I, I, we're going to get to that at the end. We're going to repeat it at the end. But while we're doing this, can you at least give me your Instagram and your website really quickly so that... Anybody who's listening to this can look at some of these pictures while they're listening to this episode. Sure thing. Um, we are at Gunnel Innovation. So it's G-U-N-N-E-L-L, gunnelinnovation.com. And um, it's at Gunnel Innovation for our Instagram as well. And um, we have two projects going on on the website and the Instagram. We have the culinary tours, but we're also building a home in northern Michigan right now so that we can host this sort of a mini tour experience, farm to table dinners and culinary farm stays at our property in northern Michigan when that's complete next year. So you'll see some of the updates if you go to the Instagram page and you end up seeing construction pictures, you're still in the right place. <laughs> but you're going to see a little bit of that story as well as the Italy uh, pictures and tours too. People discover this podcast every day, every week. You know, there are new people that start listening. So by the time certain people get to this episode, they're probably going to see your, your, the final version of that exciting project as well. Okay. That's, thank you for sharing that with me. It's Gunnel innovation.com and that's spelled g-u-n-n-e-l-l correct innovation.com and then same name for the instagram correct mm-hmm. fantastic i just thank you for taking a moment to, to to give out to shout out that those those so people can can go and check out your stuff while they're listening if they'd like to it's i'm a multitasker so i i do that kind of stuff so Okay, so that sort of brings us to something I, that you have very generously offered exclusively to this audience of listeners. 
And you've kind of blown me away with the fact that you're making this kind of special exception. So would you like to share what it is that you are doing to and what you're offering to the listeners who maybe if they've if they don't have travel plans or maybe they were already planning to come to Italy, they'd like to maybe add this on. Tell me what you are offering exclusively to the listeners of this podcast. Well, we would love to be able to include those who are listening um, in our upcoming tour this October. We didn't think it was very fair to talk about how wonderful these tours were and then have people have to wait a whole year before the 2023 tour was available. So we are able to move our um, other two chefs to a nearby Airbnb, which kind of works well for us too, because that gives us a second kitchen for prep um, for like behind the scenes sauces and things like that, that we need to do for some of the dinners, but that, that frees up two queen rooms that we have available for our second week. Um, the October 8th through 14th tour is um, open to, to guests that would like to join us. We have two queen rooms available so we could take four guests and those queen rooms have their own private bathroom. And if you would like to be part of that tour, you're certainly welcome to join us. And in addition to that, when you register, just give us a little email saying that you heard about this on Nathan's podcast, and we'd be happy to include your breakfast every day for free as well, because that's an add-on um, service if people want to have breakfast. Okay, that is absolutely fantastic. Thank you for the generosity. I hope that if we end up filling those extra two rooms with this audience, I hope that your chefs, I hope that they don't resent us too much for taking their spot in that fabulous villa. But how lovely is that? We're excited to offer that to your listeners and we would love to have people join us. It's really a fabulous experience. And yeah, we would love to show you what we love about being in Tuscany. So let's say somebody already has their travel plan set for the year. Maybe they've already done their traveling for the year and they can't make it to this particular year. How are people able to sign up for next year? They can go to gunnelinnovation.com and under the tour page, you'll see there's a little button to click there to get on a wait list for 2023. So we will be opening registration for both the Provence and the Italy tours um, probably in the next couple weeks. So if anyone is listening now and interested in next year's tours, those I anticipate will sell out very quickly. We have had wait lists from years before. Um, and we have had a lot of guests who have come to the Italy tours before who would love to try the Provence tour. So we may end up selling out that one very quickly as well. But um, there is a button there that you can email us for information and get on the wait list and be the first to find out when the registration opens. Megan, I'd like to also know a little bit before we say goodbye today, a little bit about what you do as a therapist and some of your retreats as well. And so just tell me a bit about uh, when you also maybe throw in there at some point, either one of you about this new project and when you think you'll be ready to start hosting some of these incredible things back in the United States. So I um, have a psychotherapy practice. I had a solo practice. And then when COVID hit, I had to move from in-person work to telehealth. And my big demand for services, which was already at capacity, got even larger because of the um, need for people to have support, mental health support during the pandemic. So I decided to build a group practice. And at the same time, I built um, 
of the Facebook audience of other therapists across the globe who are interested in learning how to build a private practice. Because my other mission in life is to make sure that access to mental health care is really high and that therapists feel uh, well-equipped to own their own business and open a practice. And so I have my own community of thriving therapists on Facebook, and I teach them through coaching and courses and retreats and summits all about how to thrive as a therapist um, and really prevent burnout so we can stay in the field and continue serving our clients. So that's kind of what my day job is. And then for fun, I joined Freeman on the culinary tours and work behind the scenes to build those experiences for guests. Now we have more freedom to do the tours and travel and build up north and be able to, you know, do the things that we've dreamed of for such a long time. So it's now possible for us to pivot in that direction. When you keep saying up north, can you tell me where, what is up north? Where? where so yeah, that's a Michigan thing. We, we usually use our hand for a map. Um, but yeah, we're in Northern Michigan uh, by Lake Michigan, which is on the West coast. And it's about an hour South of Traverse city, which is a pretty large city up there. Um, and we have five acres of farmland. It's absolutely beautiful. And we've been tending to it for 20 years because we purchased it 20 years ago thinking maybe one day we'll be able to build here. And I have to tell you that recently when they broke ground and I could see the earth opening up and the house kind of taking shape, I just, I couldn't believe it was happening after two decades of sort of dreaming about what was going to be there. And we're hoping that we'll be able to bring guests to that property for really wonderful culinary immersion experiences. And I will also host mastermind retreats and wellness retreats and coaching and consulting programs for my business on the property as well. And Freeman will handle the food. (laughs) It really was born out of a design for both of us that has the aspects of nature and food and the kitchen's going to be good and the views will be outstanding. And it's not quite the same as Italy, but we're surrounded by farms that have tomatoes and cherries and blueberries and honey and all kinds of things. And they're getting well known for their grapes in that area. And there's the sand dunes and Lake Michigan. And so it's, there's plenty of stuff to do to keep yourself entertained. And we're going to eventually be doing art up there with like pottery or drawing and photography. And uh, it's just been so much fun to be up there that uh, we know that that'll be like a great experience for locals of Michigan and Detroit area and for people from Europe that want to come to see the United States. Mm-hmm. A lot of good people, a lot of honest farmers and, and great experiences to be had in, in certain areas of the United States, for sure. How wonderful that you have your own slice of that to be able to yes. create something so beautiful in such a beautiful location. I'm so excited. If I wasn't so completely inspired by the two of you, I'd probably be exhausted after this conversation (laughs) because of the incredible things that the two of you are are doing. And it's just inspiring. And I am absolutely amazed and and just blown away. And and it's for someone who is in the process of building a new life and and starting brand new things and, and doing taking risks and adventure. I get it. I get where you are. And I admire it. And it's something really, really special what the two of you have done and are doing. So bravo to the both of you. Well, thank Thank you you. so much. I wish we could all toast with Prosecco from the Prosecco Valley.
Well, listen, that day will come. We will. We would love to host you sometime, maybe at the end of a, of a future tour, when you guys need a little break, you get to be our guests and we'll, uh, we'll show you the Prosecco Hills, which truly are oh. a spectacular, spectacular experience. That sounds that great. That sounds lovely. We'll do it. Well, I feel like I could talk to you all night. We, we had set aside, I think I had, when I initially emailed you, I said, you know, I was going to set aside 30 minutes and we'll see what happens. <laughs> This went way over. I don't have anything to cut. There's, there's no cutting. There's no editing. This was so good from start to finish. And I just want to thank you so much. I can't wait for our listeners to hear this episode. I'm going to get right to work editing as soon as we get off the air here together. But I just want to thank you both again so much for your time and for your openness and sharing your stories and, and the struggle and how you got where you are and, and the journey. Like, I love that you're not trying to present yourselves as people who have arrived, but you're on, you're on the journey of life, which is such a beautiful, such a beautiful thing. Oh, Nathan. Well, thank you. I have never missed an episode of your podcast since day one. I have been a super fan and I'm truly honored that you invited us here today. Well, it has been absolutely my pleasure now, even though we haven't had a chance to meet in person, I feel like you guys are friends. So I'm looking forward to that day, whether it's in up north Michigan or if it's in Provence or Tuscany. I'm looking forward to tasting some of your spectacular culinary creations, Freeman, and just getting to know the two of you in person. Thank I'm sure you. that will happen soon. Yes, I would At some love point it. point or another, we'll be there. <laughs> I I believe it too. I believe it too. Well, thank you both so much and best wishes with everything you're doing. And if anyone, just one more time, share your email and your contact information. I don't know if you want to share an email address as well, but just shout out your your information one more time, Megan. Yeah, it's everything is on gunnelinnovation.com. You can email us directly from the website. It's gunnelinnovation at gmail.com. And our Instagram is also gunnelinnovation. So feel free to uh, give us a little shout out and let us know if you have a place you'd like us to build a tour because we get ideas from people um, of where they'd like to go and where, you know, where they would like to have a culinary experience. We'd love to build something custom made for you too. Well, you're reading my mind because wherever I land in Italy, I get the piece of property that we're, we've been on the hunt for that we actually just spent the last couple months of the summer kind of roaming around southern Italy looking for oh. you can be sure that I'm going to try to convince you to come a little further south in the future <laughs> when I get, <laughs> when I get my, our, our roots down a little bit that would be great we'd love to that would be wonderful Fabulous. well thanks again to the two of you I am so excited to watch your journey continue and thanks again so much for your time and sharing so openly with all of us Wasn't that absolutely fantastic? I just have to tell you how much I really enjoyed spending time with Megan and Freeman on their 24th wedding anniversary, no less. So thanks again, Megan and Freeman, for joining me, sharing your story about your family, your life, how you have gotten to where you are. And I know your story has not even been close to 
fully written. So I'm excited to keep up with you. I'm excited, hopefully in the future, to share the experience of being on one of their fantastic culinary experiences, because they're not just a tour. They're actually a full immersion experience, which is something very, very special. So anyway, thanks again. And I hope you enjoyed that as much as I enjoyed the interview with Megan and Freeman. Now, of course, you can follow the links and go directly to their website. But if you want to visit my website, I'm moving to Italy.com. You can visit the interview page, click on the menu option for interviews. And there's a link there for all of their website, social media, everything. And you can be linked directly to Megan and Freeman's website. So check them out. I hope that you have the opportunity to join them on one of their culinary tours, and maybe you'll be one of those fortunate couples that are able to take those last spots that they reserved just for our listeners. So anyway, thanks again, Megan and Freeman. All right, well, that brings us to our new segment, La Vera Italia. And since you already know from last week's episode how this goes, Vera is going to ask me, a phrase in Italian that I don't know, I'm not prepared for, and I'm going to try to interpret and answer back. This is really, really good practice for my Italian, which I need lots of practice on, as much practice as possible. So make sure that you listen carefully and maybe you can guess what Vera asked me in the question before I have a chance to answer. So let's get into our new segment, La Vera Italia. Well, welcome back, Vera. I am so happy to have you back for our second week of La Vera Italia. I'm so happy to be back. Thank you for having me again, and ciao a tutti. So everybody loved our first segment together of La Vera Italia, and I got a lot of emails, messages, comments, and people letting me know that they really, really enjoyed this new segment. So I'm so glad I decided to do this rather than read another book in Italian <laughs> to my audience. You were not to. that bad. I told you, your pronunciation was almost perfect. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Well, okay, so let's, let's start off with what we are going to start each of these segments off, which is with you asking me a question in Italian that I have no idea. I haven't been prepped. I don't know what it is. So go for it. Mm-hmm. Che cosa fai di bello questo fine settimana? Hai programmi? That was full speed. I don't know if <laughs> you remember last time, as I told you, the first time I asked you the question, I just speak as I would do with a friend of mine. So, and this is a very common question, something you will be asked all the time by Italians, especially around Thursday or Friday, maybe. So I'll give you a hint there. Got it. Thank you. Okay. I think I actually, believe it or not, I think I actually already know what it is. But let's try it slow motion again, just one more time so I can make sure I understand. Che cosa fai di bello questo fine settimana? Hai programmi? Okay. I believe what you said was, what are your plans for? Or do you have any beautiful plans for this weekend? Uh, do you, like, what is your, like, what's your itinerary for the weekend? Or what are your plans for the weekend? Do you have anything beautiful planned? Okay, you're really paraphrasing once again. So let's, 
way much more <laughs> than I asked you, but that's what I asked you. Yeah. So literally I asked you, what are you doing this weekend? Anything planned? So you see very basic, but I like the way you put it. So que cosa fai? Que cosa fai means what do you do? So very easy. What are you doing in this case? Di bello. And that's the fun part. That's why I love Italian language so much. We just add this literally of beautiful. When we're asking, what are you doing? It's more that we're asking, are you doing something nice? Are you doing something fun? Are you eating something good? So we always had these fun words like bello and buono. So that the question is more, yeah, la dolce vita style. <laughs> okay, so. so I have a question for you. But before I get to my question, the second part pro where you use the word programmi. Hai mm -hmm. programmi. So I, it's the verb to have. It's do you have. And programmi is both programs, like, you know, TV programs, but also plans. So we use it for plans. I programmi. Do you have any plans? Okay. Okay. So I wasn't too far off. That's good. Yeah, yeah, we're not. <laughs> but now so you need to answer in Italian. I'm, I'm, I'm stalling. <laughs> you tell him stop. <laughs> okay. Andiamo a cinema per guardare un film. Mm -hmm. E dopo mangiare cena con la famiglia di Alessandro. Okay, very good. Just one tiny mistake. You said andiamo al cinema per guardare un film, great, e poi, or e dopo, I don't remember, it's two ways of saying then, you said mangiare cena. First of all, mangiare is infinitive, you need to put that to the we, so it would be mangiamo, mangiamo, because it's we eat. But in Italian, you know, we are crazy about food and meals, and that's the only thing we care about. We don't say to eat dinner or to have dinner. We have a special verb for that, to dine, cenare, cenare. So you would say, how would you say we have dinner? Try that now with the verb cenare. Okay. Uh, yes. Ceniamo con la famiglia okay. di Alessandro. Perfect. I'm so proud of my students. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm very grateful for my teacher. So thank you. Okay, so I understood the question and I answered kind of okay, but we got there. Yeah. And, you know, I told you this already. This is sort of the problem, especially for those of you who are living in Italy already. You have so much input. Even if you don't actively study Italian, you hear Italian all the time. So you understand a lot. But then when you need to talk, yeah, you're not quite there yet. So some sentences sound a little bit caveman or we don't understand you at all because of the grammar. So you really need to practice talking and not only understanding. 
Okay. Well, thank you for that, Vera. That was fantastic. Thanks for bearing with me through my Italian. Okay, so let's let's move on to the second portion of this segment where we are going to talk about La Vera Italia, something that's real Italy from the perspective of you, a real Italian. And this week, the topic that we chose was... I'm going to let you share with the topic that we chose and take it away, Vera. Oh, well, it's the most famous topic ever. It's la dolce vita. Because you want it. You, you call me and I'm here because you want the perspective of a real Italian. And there is nothing I can think of that is more different when a foreigner talks about it or an Italian talks about it, the phrase la dolce vita has totally different meanings for foreigners and Italians. So I think that's kind of important for people to, to know that because many foreigners who come here, just tourists or people who want to move to Italy or just love Italy because of course, Italy, they all say it's because of la dolce vita, but what does it really mean? And I think, correct me if I'm wrong, that for you, for foreigners, it's like the good life, having fun, a life of indulgence and, you know, just enjoying life, like the countryside and peacefulness and having passeggiata, because we have a special word in Italian to just walk without a purpose, just for the fun of it, right? And all these sort of things and good food and family and traditions, right? That's what La Dolce Vita is for Italians, like old people sitting in the piazza and just talking and spending their nights like this and having a spritz or a prosecco, right? All those sort of things. Great. We would never use the phrase La Dolce Vita for that. For Italians, La Dolce Vita is something else totally different it's a period of time it's an historical period in time that goes from the early 50s to the 60s okay so two decades right there that's la dolce vita it's like saying the roaring 20s for you or something it's a period back in the past and yeah it's an idealized period of time where supposedly people were more you know carefree their lives were more frivolous. They had, you know, this enthusiasm in life. And it's just that specific period of time. And back then, they didn't even call it La Dolce Vita. The name came later when the famous movie La Dolce Vita was released from Federico Fellini's famous movie La Dolce Vita. And Rome was the capital city of it all. So Rome was where you wanted to be. Rome was the place to be. Uh, because Cinecittà, which is the movie studios in Rome, uh, were really famous and many international productions came to Rome and shot their movies there because, you know, we had Italian creativity, but also uh, they allowed foreigners production to have good deals if they shot in Italy so it was yeah convenient economically convenient for other production and so we had 
stars from Hollywood and from all over Europe coming and shooting moves in Rome. And Via Vittorio Veneto, this famous street in Rome, was full of cafes and restaurants and five-star hotels and all the actors were there. Oh, La Dolce Vita, you see now what I'm getting to? It was this mm -hmm. sort of thing. And you had actors, of course, but you also had uh, journalists, writers, any kind of artists, and paparazzi. No, the photographers, <laughs> because that's yeah. when the first gossip magazine started to sell a lot of copies. People were into these sort of things, and paparazzi, so photographers, were trying to get as many pictures as possible of this La Dolce Vita that common people couldn't have. By the way, do you know that the word paparazzi comes from the movie La Dolce Vita? I did not know that. <laughs> That's so interesting because I was going to ask you what that, what does that name actually mean or that word? It's a last name. So one of the characters in the movie, who's a photographer and he tries to take pictures of all the stars there, his last name is Paparazzo. So it, you just get to Paparazzo and then he's a photographer in the movie. So you just got the name for that. But we would, before that, we use photographer, like a photographer. That's it. But then this kind of photographers, the one that chase VIPs and stars and so on, and even in a kind of aggressive way, are now called Paparazzi, if it's plural. Paparazzo, it was just one. And it's just the last name of one of the characters of the movie, La Dolce Vita. Wow, how interesting. You're amazing. So what you're saying is that La Dolce Vita, if we were to watch movies like Roman Holiday or like the movie itself, La Dolce Vita, you, those movies were filmed during the what is now called the La Dolce Vita period yes. by Italian. Correct. That's it. And obviously, especially <clears throat> uh, life changed at that time. Okay. There was a better life because it was right after World War II and it was the famous economic miracle, a period of time where Italy changed and from a poor, like, mainly rural nation it became like a global industrial power and also a lot of you know creativity so all the the different um famous fashion signature or things like that really really rose at that time and italian society also changed dramatically because now people could afford more things than obviously during world war ii or right after that and so they could afford cars, and that's when the famous Giulietta, or the Fiat 600 first, and then the Cinquecento, that was the cheaper one that is so iconic now. And of course, Vespa scooters, we just call them Vespa, you know, to ride around. And so people started buying those things, those symbols of their newly found richness. And most importantly, they had more free time. Because with uh, technology and the industrialization of the whole country, many works in factories and also in the fields became less tiring than working just in the fields. And so people had more free time. Also house chores, thanks to you know the washing machine and all these sort of things became 
easier. So women had finally a better time. And so they had more free time and they started having more fun because after World War II, they needed to have some fun. And so there they went on their Vespas and having the famous aperitivos here and there. They spent a lot of time going to the beach or the seaside and they were, you know, I would say that hope, optimism and just the pinch of recklessness was what characterized that period or at least what we think people were like back then. Because let's never forget that we sort of idealized the past, but they still had problems, of course, and they were not rich, but things were getting better. And so there was basically hope. And that's what La Dolce Vita means to us. So right now, 2022, you talk to an Italian and you say, what's La Dolce Vita? You will hear something like, ah, this nostalgic feeling, you know, La Dolce Vita, that period of time back in the past. Because now, yeah, I don't think, I, I don't think Italians feel like they're still living La Dolce Vita. There is no optimism at all. No hope, I would say. And the general feeling here is, in Italy is basically resignation. But I know it doesn't look that way. When you come to Italy and you see everything you just talked about, taking it easy and having fun with friends, spend a lot of time with your family, that is something we do. But if you listen carefully, and if you understand Italian, of course, you will see that 90% of the times Italians are actually complaining about something. <laughs> they are talking and complaining all the time about anything from the government to their children or special ones at home. They're, we are, because I'm Italian too in this case, we are complaining about the weather, about anything and everything we can complain about. And that's something so true about Italian. We complain a lot. We complain all of the time. It's like not complaining would sound like bragging or like, oh, yeah, my life is wonderful and yours is not. So complaining is sort of a national sport or something. But we do nothing to change the situation or very, very little to change the situation. So complaining. It's just something we do to talk and so on. Or maybe, because I really put a lot of thought into it, maybe we don't do much to change the situation even though we complain because we still have this sort of resignation, but I would say fatalism almost. So life is this way. Let's just take it this way. We, we don't stress too much about it. And that's why you see us happy because we are right there in our little world and then we complain about everything that is outside that world. Interesting. Now, just, I know this is kind of a, this is a question that you probably could talk about for the next hour, but what are your thoughts about Italy? Because we talked about what Italy was like, you know, during what is La Dolce Vita, the real La Dolce Vita, talking a little bit about what Italy is like today, your perspective on how Italians live today. But what would you say the next 10 or 20 years holds for Italy as far as like, and could you, could you maybe share what you think Italy is, what they're getting right? Maybe you already kind of shared that about Italy, Italians kind of 
they, they are kind of going at a slower pace and they do enjoy their lives. But what do you think Italians are getting right? And what do you think are going to be some of the challenges that Italians are going to face over the next couple of decades moving forward? Yeah, I wish I knew because the world is changing so fast right now, especially with technology. And we are connected 24-7. Uh, like, you know, we have notifications on our phones and all of the appliances in the home talk to you. And I think that's getting worse and worse or better and better, depending on the point of view on that. And Italians are not ready. Technology is not something for us because it's very specific you have a like a binary language there yes or no italians are more creative so it's really hard for us to adapt to new technologies uh, we are very very um, attached to our personal time and personal space so we will always take august off so either the rest of the world is gonna implode under all this pressure because it's you know, you have no personal time anymore. Uh, jobs are really demanding. And with Zoom calls and all these things, people are working 24-7. So either you all have a burnout and then move to Italy and enjoy the piazza with us or we'll be behind. And But behind, it, maybe in a good way, you know, we will focus on our artisanal products like fashion or craft pottery, all these things, the famous terracotta, we will stay here and foreigners will come to us. But, you know, at that point, I don't think we could be part of the European Union anymore. I mean, we're not competing with Northern European countries where their, their life is not so dolce like Italian life. Mm -hmm. So I really don't know because I can see that Italians are not made for this you know for this rushing all the time we work eight hours a day like everyone else of course but taking it more easy and trying to get our spaces so it actually depends on the rest of the world because i don't think italians are going to adapt to that like some of our traditions like ferragosto have been with us for more than two thousand years mm -hmm. So I don't think we are going to change that fast. Mm. Something will change a little bit, but so probably we'll need to find our space, our uh, dimension, I would say, between technology and our laid back, relaxed life and find something in between that works for both worlds. Yeah, I think Italian would need to be really brave and get off the grid, you know, totally off the grid. Since we cannot chase you like the technologic world uh, forever mm -hmm. and we are behind because we don't like this kind of technology, basically, it's not in our DNA. Probably the best thing would be to go off the grid. So no internet, in LA, nothing. You just come and enjoy because I'm looking out of my window too right now and I have vineyards in front of me harvesting for Chianti Classico you see so isn't this better than a Zoom call or or something like yes, that it so is. Even, though we're, even, though we're, even though we're connected over a Zoom call right now we're yeah. talking about this but I think but, you're right but I, I have the window behind you I see your face there and my window right there so it's 
It's better. And yeah, let's see. But I think probably Italy will always be this place because it's so important. This is our route. This is what we have, what we have had for centuries and people always loved it, the Made in Italy. And that's what we have to preserve. And that means not giving uh, ourselves to technology because technology doesn't go with slow and perfectly. It asks for, you know, velocity and yeah, rushing everything. Mm, so true. Wow, you have just, every time I talk to you, Vera, my brain is just expanded and I feel like I'm so much smarter, <laughs> whether it's about Italian language or about Italian culture or just anything in general. You are, you are incredible. Oh, I'm just an Italian, you know, but let's get to something more fun now because we were getting all philosophical. I want to teach you and your listeners a word any tongue that you will never forget because we've been talking about la dolce vita and that is three words la is the for the feminine singular dolce sweet vita life the sweet life but now if we put them together so dolce vita one word, dolce vita, sweet life, and turn it to masculine, il dolce vita, il dolce vita. Do you know what that is? I don't think I do. <laughs> well, we will need it in a few months because that's a turtleneck sweater. Wow. Are you serious? <laughs> yes, I am. Il dolce vita is, you know, turtleneck. Because one of the characters in La Dolce Vita by Federico Fellini's movie wore this sort of turtleneck um, sweater, even if it's just in one scene, actually. But I don't know. We started calling it that way because it sort of came fashionable during that time. And so it's called Il, because it's masculine, and then one word, Dolce Vita. Well, Vera... Thank you again for another fantastic La Vera Italia segment. As always, you have brought such wonderful insights about Italy and about Italian language to me and the listeners, and we are all grateful to you. And I want to thank you again for taking the time to be here with us today. No, thank you. Grazie a te. E ci vediamo presto. Ciao. Ciao, ciao. Wasn't that a great segment with Vera? Thanks again, Vera, for joining me in that new segment. I really am enjoying this time with Vera. And isn't it amazing how much you learn when you listen to her? I wish I had had Vera joining us way back at the beginning of the podcast, because I feel like every time I listen to her, I learn something very interesting and new. So I'm super grateful that she is here and sharing this time with us each week. It's something I look forward to, and I'm sure you do as well. Well, that brings us to our surrounding sounds for this week's episode. And today I have a very special surrounding sound I'm going to share with you. It's just one so when Alessandro and I were on our way back up from spending time down in southern Italy, 
looking at property and just kind of scoping out different places down there, we, instead of doing what we oftentimes do, which is drive all the way from Napoli all the way back up to the Venice area, we decided to spend the night sort of halfway in Umbria. And I've spent very, very little time in Umbria. I visited there when I first came to Italy about 20 years ago, but I haven't really been back there other than just driving through. I haven't spent a night there. So on our way back, we stayed in this very little town, medieval town called Amelia. Amelia in the region of Umbria. It's like Amelia, like Amelia Earhart. And I was just so pleasantly surprised by this little town. So I had a lot of work to do, and I wasn't able to get finished with my work after we checked into our hotel. And so by the time I got finished with all my work, I realized it was after 10 o'clock, and we weren't sure if there was going to be anything open late. So we went out for a walk, and we walked into the old part of the city, and I found some of the most beautiful little hidden pathways and, and alleyways and some of those tiny streets in Italy that you just can't find anywhere else in the world because they're just so unique and they're thousands of years old and they're from the Etruscan days or medieval times and they're just incredible. So this particular city, if you're ever driving through the region of Umbria and you happen to have the opportunity to visit the city of Amelia, I don't think you're going to be disappointed. But as we were searching for a place to have dinner, Alessandro found this place and we walked to it. And as we got close to the restaurant, we heard music and there were all the doors and windows of the restaurant were wide open. There were people standing outside on the street and inside was live piano music being played by this man who was playing music and people were listening and singing along and clapping and just enjoying the music. And so it turned out that the restaurant of this sort of piano bar, this wonderful place. It was kind of bohemian. And they said they were serving food until after one o'clock in the morning, which was perfect for us. And so we stopped in and I started filming as the piano player continued to play the piano. I was filming and recording. And so I have some wonderful sounds from that piano player playing in that very bohemian kind of bar cafe in the middle of downtown Amelia in Umbria. So enjoy that sound and I will be back afterwards to say goodbye.
Wasn't that fantastic piano music? <laughs> I was so mesmerized as that musician was playing the piano. I'm so glad I got to experience that, and I'm even more happy I was able to share it with you. Well, my friends, I want to thank you for coming back and joining me for another episode this week. I really appreciate being here with you and sharing this time with you. I know this episode was a little longer than normal, but because we were fitting so much into this episode with the wonderful interview and the segment with Vera, I just wanted to keep it all and not cut anything out. So once again, thank you to Vera for your wonderful insights about Italy, and thank you to Megan and Freeman for your time and sharing your your experiences and your adventures here in Italy with us. I want to also take a moment to thank the sponsors for this week's podcast, which is ExpressVPN and Babbel Language. ExpressVPN is fantastic because it's going to protect you as you're using public Wi-Fi. It'll allow you to use your streaming services, make calls back to home because your phone will think that it's making a call in whatever place you tell it that it is. If you tell your phone that it's in California or New York or Wisconsin or New Jersey or wherever, your phone will believe that's where it is. And if you set your phone to the correct settings, you'll be able to make free calls as though they were local calls. And there's just no better product than ExpressVPN. You can check out the ExpressVPN links on my website at imovingtoitaly.com and listeners get a special deal of three months for free when they sign up for one year plan. So check out ExpressVPN and thank you to them for being sponsor of our show. Also, if you are not able to have Vera and Irene from Kike Language be your personal language coaches, like I am fortunate enough to have them be my personal language coaches, and I have grown so much and learned so much, and it, every time I spend time studying with them, my Italian improves. And so I'm super grateful. But if you are not able to have one-on-one -on -one coaching from Vera and Irene from Kike Language, which by the way, you can visit them at kikelanguage.com, you can also download what I believe is the very best language learning app, which is Babbel. And they are also a sponsor of our show. You can get a lifetime membership for 55% off because you are a listener of this program. And I want to thank Babbel for being a sponsor. You can also find their links on our website, imovingtoitaly.com. Well, wherever you are listening to the sound of my voice this week, I hope you are healthy and well. And I look forward to being back here with you next week for a new episode. So until then, take care. God bless. Ciao, ciao, ciao.